Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I'm really glad to have a guest on the podcast that's talked about a subject we've never talked about, and that's um, neurodivergent children. My guest is Michelle Portlock. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. And Michelle has one L in her Michelle, so when you see her name in your mind, don't put two L's in it. And Portlock, I figure you can spell without my help. Uh, Michelle is joining us from Parker, Colorado, a beautiful part of, I think, a suburb south of Denver that I've driven through, a beautiful part of the world with the mountains on her on her west, if I got my geography right. Um, she's a Ward Release Society president. She's a, a mother of four neurodivergent children. She has a master's degree in special education, and one of her four children identifies as gay. And so we've never really talked about the link between uh, neurodivergent children, like children with ADHD. I can't say that, Michelle. Say You've it got for, it. You've got it. ADHD, ADHD and also autism. And autism. And I've <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of sensed there's a correlation, but she will talk about there's, this is a difference. Um, but there is some correlation there. And she's coming this from a academic background. Um, she also has started um, an LLC called Navigating the Spectrum. We'll, linking, we'll link to that in the show notes. She hosts her own podcast. So mm-hmm. I really encourage you, if you've got neurodivergent children, to check out Michelle's resources. So professionally, she's in this space. And as a parent, a married mother of four, she has four kids in this space. So this isn't just academic. Um, this is practical. And our joint prayer as we started, if you're raising neurodivergent children or have siblings or people in your life, the things Michelle shares with you will be helpful. Is that okay for an introduction, Michelle? I think that is perfect. Thank you so much. So I will just let you start wherever you want to start. That sounds good. Well, first, I think I should probably talk about some people aren't familiar with the word neurodivergent. And so I just want to put it simply, it is just a difference in the way your brain processes information. It's as simple as that. It can be more complex, but I'm going to leave it simply put like that. And there are multiple diagnoses that fall under the neurodivergent umbrella. And some of the diagnoses that I focus on as a professional and as a mom, are ADHD, autism, and dyslexia. Those are the three that we see in our home. And those are the three that I often talk about with parents, mostly autism and ADHD. I'm still learning about dyslexia. So maybe, maybe reach out to someone else for dyslexia for now. <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure that people had a little bit of an understanding of what it means to be neurodivergent. And so the other thing I want to share is that my oldest daughter, her name is Brielle, and she is autistic. Two of my children are autistic, and three of them have ADHD. And one of my children who has ADHD is also dyslexic. And I have ADHD and my husband has ADHD and it's everywhere in our house and we don't know any different and we embrace it fully. And so I reached out to Brielle before I recorded this podcast 
with you. And I asked for her permission to share her background. And I just want to say how much I appreciate her willingness to let me share her story intermixed with my own experiences. And Brielle, if you're listening, I love you to pieces. Thanks for letting me do this. And um, I just want to start by saying that Brielle struggled as a little girl with sleep and with food. Uh, She would often spit out food. And I just initially thought it was cute and funny. But as she got older, I noticed that she also struggled with like tags and clothing and seams and pants and shirts and sounds and smells and textures of foods, which is why she was spitting foods out. It was due to textures and sometimes the smell too. And I would imagine taste as well. We (laughs) do have our preferences. And um, I, well, she struggled with all of these things. And also as she got into elementary school, she began to struggle with social interactions and pretty intense clinical anxiety. I call it clinical anxiety because we did actually go to multiple psychiatrists and have that diagnosed. I could not figure out what she was experiencing. And so I began taking her to specialists and um, she was initially diagnosed as just clinical anxiety. And as her mom, I kept thinking, this is not all that is happening here. There are other things that are happening and I just don't know what it is. I've never seen this before. And pediatrician, her pediatrician in California, we used to live in the Bay Area and her pediatrician in California had said, oh, this is, she'll just grow out of it. It, She'll grow out of it. And I kept thinking, I don't, I don't think so. And I thought for a while, maybe I'm just a bad mom and I, I don't know what I'm doing because my child is having meltdowns when I try to put a pair of jeans on her and those meltdowns are lasting an hour long. And I hate to say it. I, when you, when you know better, you do better. But I was working with what I knew then. And that was that I thought she was just being difficult and stubborn. And so sometimes I would force her, I'd say, button those up. We're going out the door. Let's do this. And she'd be in tears. And I would think I'm setting the boundary. And then later I would be in tears because she was so, upset and I didn't get it. I didn't understand what I was looking at. I didn't know what she was experiencing and I didn't know how to show up for her in that space. And so as time went on, particularly through her elementary school years, I sought help from so many professionals and we tried so very many therapy options until Finally, when she was 14 years old, uh, she was officially diagnosed with autism. So we then understood that she is autistic. And she also has another sibling that I had tested at the same time. He was nine at the time, and he's autistic as well. And for those listeners that know about autism... My children would be considered to have low support needs as far as the spectrum is concerned. Um, However, as their mom, I sometimes I I don't want to say laugh, but sometimes I look at that and think, really, because this doesn't feel like a low support need because 
that mental health piece can be pretty intense at times and that feels very heavy. And so we, but once she was diagnosed officially at 14 and she had multiple diagnoses, often when you are autistic, you also have co-occurring conditions and hers were anxiety and also sensory processing disorder, which makes sense due to her her reactions to smells and to the way things felt and to sounds. And so sensory processing disorder did fit for her. I just didn't understand. I didn't even know that that was a thing when I began raising my kids, but it is. So we talk about her autism diagnosis. And with that, I began to study. I studied everything that I could get my hands on on autism. What does this mean? What does this look like for my children? And it's interesting because back in 2013, uh, the DSM-5, which is essentially the manual that doctors use to diagnose people from, and if it's in the DSM-5, then it's a diagnosis you can use. Back in 2013, uh, it used, there used to be Asperger's was an official diagnosis. And in 2013, they got rid of that and they just clumped in autism level one, level two, level three. It's all under the autism umbrella. And essentially, autism one is very similar to what would be considered um, Asperger's. And so I couldn't find all that much information on autism that related to my kids. So I did a lot of research on Asperger's and that seemed to connect with who my kids were and how they showed up. So um, I studied and studied and I felt really overwhelmed because the professionals that we were seeing kept telling me, well, early intervention is key, but your daughter is 14 years old. And I thought, okay, so now what? Are you telling me that there's nothing you can do to help my daughter. So that led me to, that's why I began to deep dive into studying. And as I started studying, I realized I'm kind of hooked on this. And so I decided to pursue a master's degree in behavior. It's special education with an emphasis in behavior. And my goal was to learn as much about my children's behaviors and what I was seeing and how I could better show up for them. Um, but what I and I did learn that, but I also felt this draw and this pull to show up for other parents in some form who were also struggling and didn't know what they could do to better help their own children, their own neurodivergent children or child. And so um, I pursued this master's degree. And I actually didn't graduate that long ago. I graduated in 2020. Brielle and I, she graduated from high school and I graduated with my master's right around the same time. So we both wore our caps and gowns and rode around the neighborhood on a scooter together, which was really fun and kind of a special little moment for us. But what happened was I... Upon my graduation, I immediately launched Navigating the Spectrum um, within two months of graduating. And I, part of that includes a podcast. And part of that is also me working with families, raising 
autistic children and children with ADHD, essentially parents raising neurodivergent children. And as I began to work with families, particularly families with autistic children, I started noticing a common pattern. I saw that many of the families that I worked with, they also happened to be LDS. And they had, uh, there was a large percentage of children, of their autistic children that experienced non-typical sexuality. And I, that's kind of what sparked my interest in the, in the topic, because I kept thinking, is there a link here? Is there a link between autism and experiencing non-typical sexuality? And I started talking to my oldest daughter, Brielle, and she had told me back in high school, she told my husband and myself that she, um, that she was gay and I thought, okay, so what is this? She's also autistic. And now I'm working with all of these families who also have autistic children and some of their children considered themselves asexual or bisexual or transgender or other types of non-typical sexuality that maybe aren't coming to my mind right now. But um, so I started talking to Brielle about this. I said, I'm just noticing this. This is so common. And if I ever get my doctorate, this is what I want to study is autism and sexuality. Well, here's the thing. I'm actually really tired. So I don't think I'm going to get my doctorate <laughs> <laughs> because I can't imagine going back to school for, you know, five or six more years. I still have kids at home and I don't want to be a perpetual student even though I love learning. I love it so much. So I just continue to study. But Brielle then is at BYU. Well, she graduated this spring from BYU. and But she was at BYU when I started talking to her about this and my interest in this topic. And so she wrote a paper for one of her classes at BYU, and it was on a very similar topic. And I just have to throw this out there. Her paper was so good that her professor submitted it to be published, which I'm putting that out there because I'm a proud mom and I'm just always so impressed with her work ethic and her brain. She has this remarkable brain. And so I wanted to share something from her research paper that she submitted that I found super interesting. So here's where you're going to hear my reading voice (laughs) because um, I'm actually going to read the research that straight from her paper. And this is what she shared in her paper from research that she did. Individuals on the autism spectrum tend to self-identify as members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual community in greater numbers than neurotypicals. And then um, I can tell you the authors of this paper, but uh, here's the brief report. It says sexual orientation in individuals with autistic traits. And it's based on a population study of 47,000 adults. And it's, you can find this study in the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders. And this study was done in 2018. So 
knowing that it is more commonly seen in autistic individuals, um, this is the next bit of the research. It says, however, of this 20, oh, let me see if I skipped something in here. Um, oh, I think I did. Okay. Oh, it says this discovery and acceptance of sexuality is not limited to only the neurotypical population. Uh, I would say I almost called myself neurotypical, but I do have ADHD, so I'm actually neurodivergent. So if you if you don't have an, a diagnosis that falls under the neurodivergent umbrella, then you would be considered neurotypical. So um, so it says this discovery and acceptance of sexuality is not limited to only the neurotypical population, as Rudolph found. Rudolph is one of the authors of this study. He found that only 77% of people with autism spectrum disorder, as compared to 89.5% of neurotypicals, self-identified as heterosexual. This means that roughly 23% of their study sample of people with autism identified outside of heterosexuality. And so it says, however, of this 23%, I think this is fascinating, 19% did not identify as heterosexual, bisexual, or homosexual. So that's really interesting. That's what I share that because that means that they are literally non-typical sexuality. They didn't identify 19% of the 23% didn't identify as heterosexual, bisexual, or homosexual. So that could be like asexual or maybe transgender. Um, and I just found that very interesting or, or none of those. Um, maybe they have, maybe they've chosen not to identify at all with their sexuality. So um, I just, I found this study very interesting. What I do want to say about this study is it was a study. Uh, it was almost like a, a poll that was taken, but 47,000 individuals, that's a large poll to be taken. Um, I put this out. I shared this research on my own uh, business Instagram page. And I just said, I'd love your feedback. What do you think? What's the why behind this? What's the connection? And here's what I'll say. If you are autistic, that does not mean that you are going to be non-typical sexuality, that you will identify as having a non-typical sexuality. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community, it doesn't mean that you're also autistic. Those two things are separate. They And I just want to share that because I don't want people running around saying, oh, my childism is part of the LGBTQ community, therefore they must be autistic. That's not true. But there is a correlation there or a higher percentage of autistic individuals that identify as part of the LGBTQ community than there are non-autistic individuals. And I think that's fascinating. So when I asked on my website, or I'm sorry, on my Instagram page, what do you think the correlation is? Uh, some people responded with things like, well, for autistic individuals, connection is more important than sexual attraction. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. But here's the truth. It's all just speculation at the moment. There really isn't a definitive answer and there hasn't been enough research. I just find the information interesting 
And what I can tell you is that I will most likely continue to read about this because I think it's I think it's an interesting correlation, even though I don't understand it. And I'm not sure how we ever fully will understand it. I'm not sure what type of research. I know that I'm not personally going to do the research, but maybe my daughter will. She does want to go get her PhD. So I'll just read her stuff, I guess, (laughs) in the future. Um, So I wanted to share that information. And then Richard, if it's okay, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. And I want to to talk more about hmm, my experience with my own daughter and and what that's been like for us and for me and for, I can't completely speak for her. I'd have to let her do that for herself, but I can share things she shared with me. And, um, and she again did say that's okay. And I love her for it. So I kind of want to start by saying, we don't know what we don't know. But it's also challenging for our minds. This is my own personal experience, but it's challenging for our minds to live in this place of unknowing. It almost feels like a place of limbo. I think it's, I think it's easier for us just as people to have a definitive answer. We're like, tell me why. And I guess I go to this place because I'm still actively participating in the LDS church. And as you mentioned before, I'm actually the Relief Society president in my ward. And I love my calling. And I love the women that I serve. And I do have a testimony of the Savior. And I believe he is exactly who he says he is. And I believe in the atonement and I believe in, um, I believe in our ability to become. And when I say that, I think of becoming more like the savior. And I, so I believe all of these aspects and all of these parts of the gospel. And so for me, I find initially when my daughter told me back in high school that she was gay, I thought, well, what does that mean? What is this going to look like? And I will actually tell you that I walked around, I walked around my house like a zombie for days. I was just, and I'm a pretty animated (laughs) person. And I just, I felt drained. And it wasn't because when she said that to us, Um, And by the way, if I rewind a little bit, she initially mentioned her feelings back when she was 11 years old. And I didn't really think too much of it because I thought she's 11 and I don't really know what this means for her, but let's just carry on. And she had a couple of boyfriends in high school. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe she was just... That was just a thought that she had. But the truth is, is she's kind of talked to me about this. I think that growing up in the church and raising her um, with our value system and raising her under the proclamation to the family 
And I think she felt like there was really no other choice for her. It was this way or it was no way. And so she dated boys and she seemed to be pretty happy about that. But as she got a little bit older in high school, I noticed, um, well, it wasn't hard to see. This was actually even in middle school too. Her depression was so severe. And we, my husband and I just, we were very scared for her. And we were very mindful. We, we had many conversations with her about her mental health and where she was at. And I thought that it was connected to her being autistic and not being able to read social cues and kind of feeling like everywhere she went, um, she just couldn't figure out why people felt the way they felt and thought the things that they thought because her brain worked differently. And that was hard. And while that's true, there were other things going on. I just didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't know what I was seeing. I didn't know why she was experiencing these things. And one night my husband and I, and I just want to say my husband is her stepdad. And I say this because he loves her wholeheartedly. And I think it's so beautiful that he's the one that came to me first before I recognized what he had already recognized before me. And it makes me a little emotional. He said, uh, Michelle, I've really been praying about how best to support Brielle. And I think that we need to support her feelings of um, being gay. And at that time, she had said she was bisexual. I think that for her, she was com she was just trying to figure out where she fit and who she was and what she felt. And she, I think for her, she thought, if I'm bisexual, maybe there's a little more safety in that I can date a boy or I could date a girl. And that gave her more options. And she felt like she wasn't completely disconnected from uh, our LDS teachings in the fact that she could date a boy if she was bisexual. But now she considers herself um, only attracted to women. And, and I just say, my husband came to me one night and we were both just, oh, just tired and worn out and felt like we are, were just trying so hard to help her meet her needs. And they were so real, those needs that she had and the mental health concerns and struggles that she was experiencing. And he said, Michelle, I think we really need to support her in what she's feeling. She had just recently told us that she was bisexual at the time. That's what she told us. And he said, I think we need to support her in this and lean into this. And I said, he, he said, I've, I've been very prayerful about this and I just really feel this way. And I said, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. I've never walked this before and I'm scared. And I'm scared <clears throat> for her. And um, honestly, selfishly, I was scared for me because um, honestly, because the child that I 
have raised. She's remarkable, but um, I don't even mean to say, but I guess I would say, and also raising her was so hard because she just experienced life differently. And it often left me feeling um, less than like less than my peers that were mothers because um, their children didn't experience the same things. And that was so hard for me until, until it wasn't. And I had to come to a place where I fully accepted my child for being autistic and for being exactly who she was and for not wanting her to be anything other than exactly how she came. And what I realized is I can do that again. I can do that again. She is, my child is coming to me and she's telling me I'm gay. I am attracted to women and I can accept and embrace her for exactly who she is right now. And I don't need her to be different than that. And my struggle was my struggle. It was for me. And I had to wrestle with that. And I freely admit that. And I'm okay admitting that because it's okay that it's a process for parents. It doesn't, I, I, I do sometimes wish that it had, that I had shown up immediately in the best, most positive way for my daughter. Um, but there was a point where I had to ask for her forgiveness because I hadn't shown up the way that I wanted to show up for her. And I had to ask for forgiveness and she, she gave it to me immediately. And that was a lesson to me um, of who she is as a person. And then I thought, I just really want to be more like her in that way. And it was so humbling that she would do that and extend that grace <laughs> to me and for me as her mom. Okay, I'm going to take a drink because whoo, who knew? I did not expect this, Richard. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. So I think where I would go with this is we don't know what we don't know. And I was kind of saying this before, it's challenging for our minds to live in this place of unknowing and sometimes in this place of limbo. And I call it limbo because I would say that there are so many members of our faith that say, but we do know because we have the proclamation to the family. And we do know because our, our church leaders have said A, B, and C, and, and then... And then some, and I say, I hear what you're saying, but when you have a loved one come to you and express these and, it, and tell you who they are, and by the way, she's also a child of God, and I know this, and she's also gay, and those things coexist. They, they can and they do. And when they come to you and they tell you this and it's, it just doesn't feel that simple anymore. It's not because it's not that simple anymore. And I think that's a hard place to be. And that's where I say, this is a place of limbo. 
it, it's, I often hear people speculate as to the why of an individual being gay. And I've heard all of these things, things like, is it because um, their parents divorced, which I have been married before. And so I've heard that. Is it because she's a child of divorce? Is it because of social media? Is it her friends? Is she just mixed up inside? Or was she actually born this way? I've heard all of these questions and I don't know the answer for every single individual. I don't know the answer for everyone. I can tell you that my daughter first talked about her feelings when she was 11 years old and that's part of her own story, but that's her story and hers to tell. But the one thing that I know for certain is that I get to choose how I will show up. I know that. And I get to give all of my unanswered questions to Heavenly Father, and he can oversee what I don't fully understand. And when I give it to Heavenly Father, then I'm free to just love my child. I'm free to love all of the people in my life, and I'm free to openly listen, and I'm free to lean in and learn from their experiences, and I'm free to love with all my heart. Because I've given the struggle to Heavenly Father. And that leaves me with all of this freedom. And it feels so beautiful. And I will just say that I've never connected with the phrase that you can we often hear, which is love the person and hate the sin. I've never really connected with that. And instead, I lean into the idea that we're all flawed, not that being part of the LGBTQ community means that you're flawed, but that we just that as individuals in general, we're we're all flawed, but we can choose to focus on the strengths of those we welcome into our lives and into our circles and those that were born into our families. And I actually teach parents there there's a, it's actually called strengths-based parenting. And I talk a lot about strengths-based parenting because when you're raising neurodivergent children, sometimes you feel at a loss because you see behaviors that are so challenging. And I say, let's focus on your child's strengths. What are those strengths? How do we lean into those strengths and more fully develop those strengths? And so I think we can do that for each other across the board. And when we do, I think that there's like a little There's a little secret blessing in that because I feel like Heavenly Father takes it one step further and he allows us in that, in those experiences of focusing solely on people's strengths, which by the way, you can feel when people are focused on your weaknesses as opposed to your strengths. We feel that as individuals. And I feel when people are so gracious and loving towards me, I feel like I lean into those strengths myself. And I think that's the beauty of strengths-based learning. And I'll get off my soapbox with that. But (laughs) I would say that when we lean into people's strengths, we're able to drop our judgmental thoughts and recognize that we, there's a scripture, um, I actually wrote it down because I knew I wouldn't remember it. 
perfectly, but um, we're able, we, we only see through glass darkly because we have our little human bodies here on this earth. So we only see through glass darkly, but the Lord sees the big picture. And it's actually, um, the scripture is actually put in first Corinthians um, for now, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then shall I know even as also I am known. And also, okay, so I want to kind of expand on that. I looked up other translations of that, and I really appreciated the translation from, it's called the New Living Translation. It's the same verse, but it's the New Living Translation. And it says, um, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And I share that because I can't know all the things there is to know about all of the people that I come across in my life, because I don't have the full picture, but Heavenly Father does. And because I don't have the full picture, and I won't until I see Him again, and He shows me the full picture— that actually is, that's where I feel that it's somewhat freeing for me because that's where I say, well, then I get to just choose how to show up, which is what I talked about earlier is I get to choose how to show up. And, and my husband and I, we are choosing to show up um, with love and acceptance for our daughter and for all of our children. And we just get to love the crud out of her. And it feels good. <laughs> It feels so good because, because that's how we truly feel. We do just love her deeply. It's innate within us. And we've worked on our relationship with her and each of our children. And I think the things that we work on are the things that really matter. The things we struggle and wrestle with, those things matter. And our children matter. And um, because we put the effort in, we also love them with all our hearts and so deeply. And I think that's the beauty of um, families is that that's one of the things we can learn if we choose to learn that, that we aren't going to see eye to eye on all the things and that's okay. And I'm not even just talking about being um, gay. I'm saying, or a member of the LGBTQ community, I'm saying just in general, it's okay to have differences of opinions. We can still just love and love with all our hearts. Um, my, one of the things that my daughter, this was just recent, like within the last week or so, and it was a hard conversation to have with Brielle, but, um, it's how she feels. And so we had it. And I'm not afraid of talking about how she feels because it matters to me. Um, she, she recently told me that me, staying in the church. So she is no longer participating in, in the LDS faith. Um, she just, for her, she wants to have a relationship. She wants to have that connection and with another individual. And she's not currently dating anyone, um, but she would like to someday. And so she told me that me staying in a church that can be mentally harmful to her and to her friends that are part of the LGBTQ community. 
she said that it hurts her. And that causes me to hurt for her too. And to hurt because I love her. And because our children are looking for support from their parents and their extended family and their friends. And so then I ask myself questions like, why do I stay? What keeps me here? And the truth is that for me, and everyone's experience is different, but for me, learning and implementing the teachings of the gospel in my life has truly helped to open the heavens for me over and over again. And I can't deny the deep spiritual connections that have lifted me in my darkest moments because I've certainly had them. And every time I've turned to Heavenly Father and I feel like I've learned how to turn to Heavenly Father and how to build that connection and create that spiritual tether that I have with Heavenly Father, I feel like I've learned that through so many of the gospel teachings. That is my personal feeling and my personal experience. And that's why I stay, but I also have zero judgment for those that can't and choose not to because it's not the same experience for everyone. I do know that it's individual and I will never have judgment for those that can't and don't. Um, I just wanted to share why I do. And also, I just, I really do believe that the Savior is who he says he is. And I have felt his love in my life. And I feel like that is what, that's ultimately, and I used this word before, but that's ultimately what keeps me spiritually tethered to him. And I... I I wanted to just say that there was a night where I was on my knees. This wasn't too long after um, Brielle had told me and my husband that at the time she'd said she was bisexual. And um, I was just in deep prayer and I was saying things to Heavenly Father like, I love my girl so much and what does this mean for her and how do I show up for her and what will this look like and what does it look like for her and I don't know what to do I don't know what to do for her I don't know like if I tell my extended family and I tell my friends are they going to continue to love her like I hope they do I don't know because I can't control that but what does that mean and I, this is, this was such a tender moment because um, I just had this very strong impression that Heavenly Father was saying, don't you know that I love her too? Don't you know I love her too? And I realized in the midst of my prayer and when I had this thought that he loved her first. He loved her before I even knew who she was and how she would come to this earth. And, and he knows her thoughts and he knows her heart and he knows her struggles. And that is the night that I gave all of my worry to him. I literally just gave it to him. And that left me 
with the ability to, like I said, there's no other way to explain it for me, but it left me with the ability to just love the crud out of her. (laughs) And my husband, who I mentioned before is her stepdad, he loves her wholeheartedly too. And he embraces exactly who she is. And that feels so special and so tender to me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm also not going to pretend that there isn't a little bit of a challenge in this balance at times Um, because I love and embrace my girl and I also love and embrace the savior's role in my life. And I believe he continues to be a part of her life. And sometimes it's through me and sometimes I think it's directly through her. Even though she stepped away, I don't feel like that cuts her off from opportunities to hear Heavenly Father's voice in her life. I don't believe that. And I know that um, Heavenly Father loves her. And I hurt when she hurts. And I know the Savior hurts when she hurts. And he hurts when I hurt. And I just know this. And some people, I've said before, they choose to walk away from um, this church and this gospel. And like I said, I have zero judgment because it's more difficult than you can imagine when you're holding the pain of your child and wondering why it's this hard. And you're wondering, does it have to be this hard? But it is sometimes. And that's a challenging space to exist in. You can exist in that space, but it's challenging. And for those that are listening, my heart just goes out to you in that space because it's not easy. And so I I was actually really nervous to come on this podcast and to talk about this because it's so tender for me and it and it's so tender for my husband and for our family and I don't I don't I I sometimes wish I could control narratives so that I could protect my daughter's heart but I can't I can only I can only control myself and so what I've learned over the years and this stems from having children that don't always behave in ways that look like other kids I've learned that I only really get to control myself. And when I feel good about my own decisions, I am more comfortable sitting in that space and just letting any type of, what would I say, like judgment, or you could call it even like negativity. I don't let it bother me. Because I know what I know, and they know what they know. And I actually don't even judge people for those thoughts. Because I have come a long way. It doesn't feel good, but I don't judge them for it. Because I I am certain I lived in that space at one point too. But I have shifted. And I like my shift. I like it. I like where I'm at and and I'm comfortable in that. And so whatever it is and wherever someone else is in their thought process in this, that's okay. 
it's it's okay. I I wish that it could look inclusive and loving and kind and that we could do exactly as the title of your podcast says, just take the time to listen, to love, to learn. I think that that can open our hearts and sometimes I think there's fear behind people not wanting to listen, love and learn because it's scary. It's scary to lose um, your grasp or that tight hold on what you thought you knew and go to a place of maybe I don't know everything I thought I knew. That can be a scary place to be, but I live there. Come join me. (laughs) It's okay. Discomfort isn't always bad. And I I often don't even use the word bad. I don't look at even behaviors as bad or good. I look at them as a behavior. And why do they, I look at behavior as a form of communication rather than as a good behavior or a bad behavior. I look at, at behavior as a form of communication. And that comes from the research that I've done on behavior um, in my master's program, that there's always a purpose behind behavior. And so I don't even look at living in uncertainty as a bad or a good thing. It just is. It is. And we can reside in this place of uncertainty and try to find comfort in uncertainty, which feels like it shouldn't go together, but it can. You can be in a place where you say, I don't know what I don't know. And that's okay. But I get to choose this. And that's okay. And that actually feels really good. <laughs> that kind of feels good to, to decide what you can control. And sometimes what we step back and say what we can control Um, may not look like staying here in this space, but that's what it looks like for me. That's what I've chosen. And that's what I've decided I can control. I can control the fact that I'm staying as an active participant in the LDS faith. And I can control the fact that I love my daughter and embrace her. And she's an autistic young woman. And she's also gay and she's also my child and she's also a daughter of heavenly father she's all of those things and i accept and embrace her for all of those things and i'm comfortable in that and that feels good to me and i guess i would just say that i thought well why am i going on this podcast what's my message What is it? Like, what am I trying to share? And part of it is exactly what I've shared, which is just our story and our experience and some of the um, interesting research that that um, connects autism with a higher percentage of uh, non-typical sexuality. But the other piece to that that I that I feel like that is not really connected to anything that I've shared so far um, is I guess my message that I thought I could maybe share is that there's absolutely no limit to the influence that we can have for good within our own communities and within our own wards. And that also feels good. We, we, can, we get to choose exactly who we want to be. And for me, I really want to walk the path of the savior. I I really hope to become more like him every day. And I don't 
it's not, it's not always happening like that for me because I'm human, but I'm definitely trying. And so I'm grateful for the atonement in that for me. But I love that I can take this extra measure of love that I feel like Heavenly Father has given me through these experiences. And I get to turn around and share that within my ward family and in my communities. And that feels really good to me. And I get to choose to show up without judgment. And I get to try my hardest to love everyone that comes into my life, just like the Savior loves them. And clearly that is not perfect. Um, sorry for those that are listening and shaking their heads saying, that's not what I've experienced from her. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm sure trying. Um, but I just wanted to share that, that we can take our struggles and the Heavenly Father can sanctify those struggles and he can help us turn around and use that to love and serve those in our immediate communities within our families and, and outward beyond that. So Richard, thank you so much for giving me this platform to share my story and this message. And I do have to say it's slightly unnerving to be talking this much. (laughs) And, And I appreciate your listening ear. So thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Um, this is really a helpful podcast. And as I said before, you bring this perspective from your education. It's really cool. You graduated with your master's the same time Brielle did from high school. Um, your practical experience and insights as a parent and, and then your professional work um, helping other families. This is the best podcast we've ever done on neurodivergent. and. So credit to you. Also credit Brielle. If you're listening, Brielle, um, you're awesome. And your mother has clearly communicated that, but I wanted to add my voice to hers. Um, Just the remarkable woman you are, um, navigating some of the complexities of anxiety and autism and being gay, graduating. And I love that you want to get a PhD. I love the things that your mom read from your own research. You are bright. You are gifted. Um, the world's a better place with you. And you're young and already in this spot where you can contribute so much. So you have a great life ahead of you. And um, I love that your mom um, loves you and your family loves you and you've got support and you have a terrific life ahead of you. And honor your journey um, just like your mom is honoring your journey. And um, so you, you're awesome and your mom's awesome. Um, I love some of these terms you've introduced that are sort of non-polarizing, like um, neurodivergent and neurotypical, um, Mm -hmm. non-typical sexuality, somebody that's not straight versus typical sexuality. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. And the research confirms that. And talking about it, no non-polarizing terms is certainly helpful. I love this phrase that you use many times. I got my master's degree because I wanted to better show up for my kids. And Mm. not everybody needs to get a master's degree to do that. Um, It's what you felt you should do. But uh, Mm -hmm. I love this phrase, I wanted to show up for them. And you use that several times. And I thought of Jesus. And that's what he did so much in in ministry is he showed up for people. 
and he was present for them in the reality of their lives. And I just think that's a beautiful pastoral minister principles to show up for people and be open on how that works. Um, I love, you know, I've been in a few discussions once in a while in a parent group on Facebook, which I'm in, they invite me in um, that have LGBTQ kids. This question comes up about the correlation between um, like autism and kids that aren't straight. And I love that you have clearly communicated that there's a correlation there, but not a causation. And even before we went live, you talked about autism and anxiety is a diagnosis. It's part of the DSM-5 um, mm-hmm. autism, but being gay or lesbian is not a diagnosis. It's just who they are. In fact, some That's people right. will say, you know, I don't even identify as gay. I just am gay. Um, mm-hmm. And so they mm-hmm. even go one step further than I identify. It's just I am. This is mm-hmm. who I am. And so... Um, some would think, well, I kind of want to help my kid be straight, and they're autistic, so if I can solve their autism or the anxiety, then I'm going to have a straight kid on my hands. Talk to our listeners about why that kind of logic is not particularly will work. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not helpful to your child's well being, um, and I would say that I. I don't know that I learned it the hard way, but I learned it through a hard experience, which is something that I'd kind of mentioned uh, in our, well, I'd say discussion, but as I talked, (laughs) as I shared, um, just how my husband came to me and just said, I think that we need to embrace her for who she is and we need to lean into this. And it's just scary sometimes you don't know what it means you don't know what it looks like but the flip side to that is my daughter was in agony and I don't use that word lightly I'm choosing that intentionally it was agony and she was deeply suffering and struggling and I think she would be okay I asked her if I could share and she said share anything you want so I hope she's okay with this um but at one point we were in, you know, we were in overnight full round the clock care. And I was sitting by her bedside for, I don't even know how many hours, but I just stayed awake by the side of her bed, just watching her through the night. And something to to push our agenda onto our child can cause so much pain. And I think that sometimes we think, but it's not my agenda. It's the teachings. And I'm just, I'm just reiterating the teachings um, of the gospel. But it's, it's fair to say that not every individual will align with those teachings. They won't. And there's a little, I can't remember exactly in the proclamation to the family, but there's one part that mentions, um, you know, disability and like, maybe I can't remember. I, I, I actually looked it up last night and I thought, well, I don't want to cherry pick and take <laughs> this phrase and put it where I think it like and interpret it in my own way. So I left it there and <laughs> I didn't pull it into this conversation, but I guess what I'm saying is, 
there's fear there for active members of the LDS faith. And I understand that fear, but there also is pain and struggle when we decide for our children who we think they need to be, when that's not who they are. And we can unintentionally cause so much pain. And I think that when my husband and I shifted and began to lean in and embrace her, she changed. She completely, in fact, she is now telling us that she is weaning off of anxiety medication because a lot of that anxiety she felt stemmed from two things. One was not understanding social cues. And I think she's actually okay with that. She's like, I don't, but sometimes it's funny and I just embrace that part of me now. And the other part was not feeling like she belonged even in our family unit because we would not, in her mind, accept her for not being straight. And once we leaned into that, that anxiety began to subside and her mental health improved significantly. She's a completely different human being mentally than she was in middle school and high school. I just didn't know that I didn't know until near the end of high school that she was that she had these feelings um, and that they were there to stay. Sometimes I think parents think maybe they'll go away if I yeah. just do these things, but I don't think that's true. I, I, I don't see that it has shown to be true. Even I've looked at some research, not a ton, but enough to say that's not typically how it goes. I don't think our kids are saying I'm gay just to be defiant. And I don't think they're saying I'm gay just to be difficult or to make their lives harder. They don't want that. I, I think it's, they're looking for their parent to say, okay, what, how can I show up for you? What, what does this mean and how can I show up for you? So that's a really helpful segment, listeners, because I think, you know, most parents' first reaction might be, I've got to fix this if I've got a kid that's not straight. And mm-hmm. I think you are sharing this journey that uh, this isn't something that needs to be fixed. This isn't a diagnosis. This isn't, I can't find a backstory like a child of a divorce or, friends or social media or some of the other, I was even, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. And I remember hearing things like, well, it was a faulty parenting style. Dad traveled a lot. The kid didn't bond with his dad. So he bonded with his mom. So the kid's gay. And I I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. And I remember even being nervous about traveling so much as a young (laughs) father that I'm going to, we still have straight kids at our home. And so Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, we kind of get past the backstory um, and saying, this is who my kid is. This isn't a diagnosis. This isn't something that needs to be medicated. This isn't something that needs therapy for. This is who my kid is. Then we're be- mm-hmm. better able to show up now. Mm-hmm. And then I love, and Brielle, if you're listening, you know, respect for working through the really difficult road you've been walking and with the you know, the pain of your emotional health and trying to mm-hmm. navigate your sexuality and being a member of the church and staying alive and your parents walking with you. And um, graduating from college is huge. And I just think your whole life is possible now because of the road you've been walking. And some of that's 
unfortunate, not your parents' fault, but just sort of the realities of where you've been walking. <laughs> not because of anything you did, but just who you are. But mm-hmm. you have an incredible life ahead of you, and you've gotten yourself into an emotionally healthy spot. You're bright, you're capable, you're a writer, and you're going to take kind of your lived experience, um, and you're going to make this world a better place. And so you were remarkable. And this is a beautiful love story. Sometimes I think of Gene Kratz listeners in Apollo 13, where everybody around him in that moment is going, oh, no, this is like terrible. And Gene Kratz, the true leader he is, the Apollo mission leader says, excuse me, sir, I think this is our finest hour. And I think this is your family's finest hour. And maybe you'll have even more finer hours in being with your daughter when she's in a really tough spot. and. And being willing to show up and and change your feelings. So I just think there's principles here that help all parents. Now, I want to comment on the family proclamation. Um, And you've done a great job on that. We have that in our home. We believe in the family proclamation. And I've always thought that somehow I got to the conclusion before I stepped in the space that sort of answers everything about um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. That you know, all the answers are there. And I've recognized that they're not. (laughs) Um, It it may remind um, people of what's not possible in their life if they're gay or lesbian and they feel their path Mm -hmm. isn't a mixed orientation marriage, then it really doesn't explain to them how to live their life. It just may trigger them on what's not possible, a heterosexual marriage. They are who they are and they can't undo that. And so mm-hmm. the proclamation of the family listeners uh, is just, I, I support it, I sustain it, but it doesn't answer the questions of how to, if someone chooses to be celibate their whole life, it doesn't say how to do that. It doesn't have a, a path. There's no church programs for that. Um, there's right. not lots of role models. Um, if you want to, so it's, it's can be very triggering for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and their families. And if I were teaching a Sunday school lesson, the proclamation family, I'd still teach it. I'd say our doctrine is marriage between a man and a woman, but I'd also mm-hmm. use that as an opportunity to bring forth stories of queer Latter-day Saints, especially those that, you know, want that, you know, how that can be difficult for them. And then our responsibility as Latter-day Saints to bear, mourn, and comfort and do what we can do. Often, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, and we're kind of coming to the end. Sometimes our natural reaction when we hear the proclamation of family is sort of pivot and sort of talk about how the LGBT community is a threat to our families, to society, and we kind of have been conditioned to talk about it in those terms. And I have, mm-hmm. maybe you haven't, listeners, but that's kind of the association <laughs> I've had. And now I don't do that anymore because Brielle is not a different community. She's your daughter. She's She's, you know, I don't think of another group of people. I, whenever we talk about the proclamation of the family, I think about a queer closeted kid in the, in the ward or the stake that's listening to everything we hear about people like them and, and need mm-hmm. to be, and need to hear positive messages. So we can say, you know, if you're queer, this is the reality of your life as a Latter-day Saint, what we're asking you to do. Um, that we're not asking straight Latter-day Saints to do. So there's a difference there. To fully participate mm-hmm. in the church, straight Latter-day Saints can have a partner. Um, your daughter can have a partner. She feels like a mixed orientation marriage works for her. But if she, the church doesn't recommend that, they support that. 
if you feel that's the right path for you, but if she doesn't feel that's the right path for her, then it's it's difficult. So I think we build empathy and and don't make your daughter the hero one day for being in the church and the villain the next day. She's the same wonderful daughter and God can be with her. And, uh, yes. and I don't think, you know, so take God, you know, those of you that have separated yourself from the church that are queer, I say, take God with you. Yeah, you're not following church teachings, but you're not outside God's love and take God with oh. you. I love that, a- Richard. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, <laughs> I had a conversation with Brielle a couple years ago and I said, um, don't let go of the Savior. I said, you hold on to him. I'm like, you can still read the my favorite. I actually love the New Testament. I, I love the Gospels, the four Gospels. And I, I love how I learn about the Savior from the four Gospels. But I told her, I said, even if you're not actively participating you can still read the Book of Mormon. You can still learn about the Savior. You can read the New Testament. You don't have to practice this faith, but there are beautiful lessons to be learned all throughout the scriptures. And that includes how we get to know the Savior. And it's there for you. So reach out to it, reach for it, and take it with you and hold on to that and carry Christ in your heart. It doesn't have to look like the exact way that I live but don't leave him behind that's what i that's what i've told her on multiple occasions and you know i don't know i don't know exactly where she is with that because i haven't asked in a while but now i'm going to (laughs) and i think that's great and i think you know i think that's great and i think that's coming from a position of strength that you know heavenly parents love her and will Mm -hmm. always love her and so we have people that separate themselves from our church i think um, we may want to sort of use manipulative behavior at first to, you know, get them to come back. But I think the long view, and some people aren't going to come back, and that's okay, but this sort of non-transactional love, but connecting them with God and say, God will be with you, take God with you. Nothing you can do can take you outside the love of God. Even if they're deconstructing their relationship with the church, they can reconstruct a long-term relationship with God and Jesus. And I believe that's our doctrine as Latter-day Saints, is you can have a relation with God and Jesus and our church is a means to accomplish that. But if that's not working for you, I'm not inviting people to leave the church, but if they if they self-determine that's their path, then I think a pragmatic discussion like you're having with your daughter, take God with you, mm-hmm. have a relationship with Jesus, is a good thing. <laughs> people, yeah. And so it's not, the first discussion we have with our kids, but if that's the reality of her life, um, just one thought listeners, and then I'm going to turn it back to uh, Michelle, but in the show notes, I want to mention this. We'll link to Michelle's website, michelleportlock.com. Remember that's Michelle with one L. We'll link to her um, Instagram page, which I've been kind of looking at during this podcast. It's terrific. (laughs) It's called (laughs) navigating dot the spectrum navigating the spectrum with dots between the the i've confused you listeners but it's going to be in the show notes but (laughs) i you know i was reading the book of mormon the other day and i came across nephi 4 6 where nephi says these words not knowing beforehand um, what i should do and i thought about that so much of life is like that here's nephi's example um, being led by the spirit but you as parents you that are 
LGBTQ, me even stepping in the space as an ally. I just didn't, we don't know beforehand how to do it, but the form is there. We go by the spirit. And I don't know if anybody could have talked to you as a 12-year-old and said, you'd have a master's degree, you'd have a podcast, you'd have an uh, LLC, your life, and you've gone through a divorce. You're pretty transparent about that. And that's just the realities of life. But I think you know, your your life is probably different than you thought it would be as a beehive. We don't use that anymore. But I think it's beautiful. <laughs> and I love, you know, your husband's role in this and supporting your daughter. Um, and so this is just a beautiful family love story that, um, and here you are now sharing principles that help other parents. There'll be some parents that this would be the closest to their story that any podcast I've done is, and and it will help them perhaps more than anything any other guests and they will connect with your social media and it will help them. So thank you for being on the podcast, Michelle and Brielle. If you're listening, I just want to put my arms around you, give you a big hug for the wonderful woman you are. And, and if, and the life you're going to have and already having, you have a bright life ahead of you. So Michelle, back to you. Well, I don't know that I have too much more to add other than to say I just keep thinking about how our brains try to understand things fully. We don't like being left in a place of unknown. And I talked about that for a bit before, but it's, it is a hard place to be in that space of, it feels very uh, disconnected. You sometimes feel disconnected to your self somewhat and sometimes feel a little bit disconnected to the general LDS population because you're like, oh, do I feel this way? Do I feel that way? It's it's a tricky space to be in, but you can reside in that space. It's possible. And I, for me personally, I accept that I don't know all the things. And I accept that um that that's okay. That I I'm I'm okay with that. And that is not a place where everyone wants to reside and where everyone wants to live. And and I also I also, I also just want to say that that's okay too. <laughs> I'm I'm not here to say everything's okay. We embrace all the things, but I am here to say that this experience is so personal and so individual and that when we do all the things that we can and we land in a certain place i mean it doesn't mean that we're always in that space there there's always growth happening there's always change there's always interactions that we have things that we read experiences that we have and those things change us so it's also okay to say this this is how i feel today and maybe that will shift and change and and I just have to put my seatbelt on and get ready to ride this roller coaster called life. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it is. At least that's how my life has been. And like you said, when I was 12, it's not what I thought it would be. I thought that if you just lived all of the teachings of the gospel, that it would be um, a beautifully wrapped present with a great big beautiful bow. And then you'd meet your savior at the end of that. And um there's so much beauty in there, but there's sure a lot of heartache interwoven within that. And that's life. 
that's what life is. And I think I I have the this quote in my front room uh, and people have seen it everywhere, but I have it and it's enjoy the little things. And that's that's what I try to do on a, on a day to day basis, because I sure can't control most of what happens, but I get to enjoy the little things and focus on the things that I do have control over in my life. And that's pretty much me, just me. <laughs> that is great. Thank you, Michelle Portlock, for being on the podcast. And um, you're terrific. Check out our show Thank notes you. for her website and her Instagram account. And this is Richard Osler signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.